and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The Bible tells us that God is patient, but not slow. The two concepts seem at odds with each other, but are they? Executive Pastor Eric Ryan brings us this sermon entitled, Hasten the Day, which covers 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-10. to 10. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. So Pastor Worelli will read first in Swahili, and then Baraka will read in English. Thank you, brothers. Good morning, Perimeter Church. Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Peter, first Three, chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. Lakini wapenzi wangu, msisau kitu kimoja mbele ya buwana. Hakuna kitu kati ya siku moja na miaka elfu. Kwa yote ni mamoja. Buwana hakawi kutimiza ahadi yake kama watu wengine wanavyofikiri kuwa Anakawia. Yeye anasubiri kwa ajili yenu maana hapendi hata mmoja wenu apotee bali kuwavuta wote wapate kutubu siku ya Bwana itakuja kama mwivi siku hiyo mbingu zitatoweka kwa kishindo kikuu vitu vyote vya asili vitateketezwa kwa moto na dunia itatoweka pamoja Na kila kitu kilichomo ndani yake. Amen. I'm reading in English. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that, that with the Lord one day is as thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Would you join me as we read our prayer of illumination this week? Gracious God, reveal your holy eternal word to us and introduce us to the knowledge of your will. Where we have erred, correct us. Where we are wounded, heal us. Where we are needy, fill us. Good shepherd, lead. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, it is such an honor um, I am very, very grateful for the opportunity uh, to bring God's word this morning. Uh, watching the weekly update video, apparently I have a favorite preaching shirt. Uh, and uh, I apparently wore this shirt uh, last Good Friday. So uh, note to self, uh, hopefully uh, this Good Friday will not be wearing the same. All right. You know, standalone sermons uh, for a pastor are an interesting thing. If you've been around uh, Perimeter very long at all, you've probably noticed that we package our sermons in some ways into series. It's, it's helpful for the learning process to 
kind of be in a specific book or maybe be in a specific theme uh, in Scripture. And then every once in a while, even just for organizational and scheduling sake, you have some standalone. You have guests that come in and you have some standalone sermons. And for a pastor, a standalone sermon is simultaneously an exciting thing to go, man, okay, freedom uh, to preach on what the Lord has uh, pressed in my heart. And it is absolutely simultaneously horrifying uh, to have your pastor say, share what God has on your heart uh, is like, oh, okay. Um, but I am uh, incredibly grateful. And, and as it happens, um, I laughed when Jeff asked me uh, to preach today. Uh, because about uh, two or three months ago, if you'll remember, we had our global spotlight weekend. Uh, and Jeff, uh, although I do typically remember every single word that he preaches from the stage, um, more often than not, as you know, right, somebody preaches and, and the Lord will take um, sentences or parts of the passage and, and press them deep into your heart. And that particular Sunday, I'll, I'll never forget it. I, I remember um, Jeff saying to one level or another, whether it's word for word or not, he said, you know, the reason we have Global Spotlight Weekend and the reason that we have a global outreach department is because people are perishing all over the world. And as the guy who um, is over in a lot of ways operations and helping um, with our teams uh, lead operations here at the church, I have to constantly check my why. I have to constantly check my heart. Am I doing this so that I'm a healthy individual and we have a healthy church? Am I doing this so that things run smoothly? And, and in that moment, um, in the way that God does, it was as if God said, Eric, I need you to remember why I send Perimeter Church. I send Perimeter Church because people are perishing all over the world. And as he often does, he, he takes a moment like that where we're sitting under his word and he has something to say to us. And then he surrounds you with the same idea. And, and as I went on from that Sunday through books and seminars and conversations with friends, the Lord not only reminded me of that big why that he has for why he sends us, uh, but also reminded me that throughout church history, the Lord has raised up men and women and then lit a fire in their heart for those who are lost. And in a lot of ways, that has provided their longevity and it has provided their joy. Obviously, don't get me wrong, right? Directly the spirit of God, God himself keeps us and sustains us as the people of God in ministry and mission. But I think often he does that by lighting a fire in us, a longing to see the lost found and to rescue, he does the rescuing, but to be the proclaimers who share the good news that rescues the perishing. And so my hope, my, my prayer today is, is simply this. Today my prayer is that the Lord might do in your heart what he did in mine just a few months back. That your heart would ache just a little more than it does right now for the fact that people are perishing. That the lost would in many ways become our why for personal and church mission, yes, but also for the way we order our lives. And lastly, that the change would bring more joy and longevity as we strive to honor God in everything. We just read uh, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 10, 
And what I want to do in this passage this morning is just give you one observation to sit on. We're going to observe the patience of God. And then I'm going to give you two exhortations. And exhortations are simply a plead. And as pastors, we don't plead from our own authority. We don't plead from our own wisdom. But hopefully we take God's word and we pull out what he's pleading towards us in that passage. And I want to share two of those. So first observations, the patience of the Lord. Verse 8 says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The context of this passage, if you were to kind of zoom up, uh, to the beginning of this chapter is that Peter mentions to the people of God that he's writing. And if you look at the, uh, the intro of the letter, it's very clear that Peter is writing to other believers. And at the uh, north part, the upper part of chapter three, he says, look, in the last days, there will be scoffers. There will be people that mock you. And one of the things that they will mock you about is that you claim to serve and worship a God who says he will return. You claim that you are the followers of Jesus Christ who ascended into heaven, but also said that he was going to return. So where is he? And that's the context of verse 8. He says, but don't overlook this one fact. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is with a day. This is good news for us. If you've been a believer for probably any moment of time in today's culture, then you've had those days. You've had those moments where maybe you're experiencing brokenness in your own life. Maybe it's health struggles and uh, maybe it's sinfulness in your own heart, sinfulness in the people around you. And maybe in a moment you have cried out to the Lord, would you not just return? Lord, come, come and make all things new. And so you can imagine then and if, if people start to scoff and to mock, where is he? He said he was going to come. And Peter here reminds us, look, Jesus, God has not returned. Jesus has not returned, not because he's slow. It's not because he's lazy. He's not deaf to our cries. He's not incapable. God is not in heaven problem solving on the right time to return. He's not moving and ordering the events of the world to make sure that he comes at the perfect time. His promise to return is no less true today than it was 2,000 years ago when he made it. So why does he wait? He waits because he is patient. He waits because he is patient. Think for a second on the patience of God. If you were to imagine the brokenness that you can just see yourself, your own brokenness, your own sinful ways, the sin of those around you, the sin within your family, your friend groups, the brokenness you see there, the, again, the health struggles, the financial struggles, the brokenness of our world. And then if you go from there and just simply pull out your phone and start scrolling through the news, how much more sinfulness and brokenness would be on display? And then look around this room. If we knew all of that, if we knew all of that represented here in the relationships and represented 
in our own lives. I looked up just this morning, there's 82,000 people in Johns Creek. Imagine being God and seeing and knowing every rebellion, every mockery, every act of sin, every wayward thought. Zoom out then to our country. God knows every thought and deed of healthy and unhealthy politicians and leaders. He witnesses every abuse committed, every murder ever committed. He looks on as mankind would rather worship the creation rather than the creator. He sees every single idol of the heart. And now look towards the world, every genocide, every natural disaster, every blasphemy of his holy name, every martyrdom of one of his children, every mockery of his son, and that is just today. And because of his patience, for 2,000 plus years, God has been watching and waiting. Why? Why does he still wait? Verse 5 even tells us of chapter 3 that as surely as his word created the world, and as surely as that same word flooded the earth in Noah's day, that same word stores up fire in heaven and on earth for the day of judgment when the ungodly will be destroyed. Why does he wait? He waits because he does not desire that any should perish. He waits for more to reach repentance. When Peter says that he is patient towards you, that you is, is interesting. There's really two kind of primary ways to interpret it. One would be that Peter in this moment is, is talking as if he's talking to the scoffers that were mentioned. Right? So he's speaking to them and he's saying, look, God is not slow. A day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. He's not incompetent. He is patient towards you, the scoffer, desiring that none should perish. That is the most likely interpretation. But you could also interpret it as to the ones that the letter is written to. Peter is writing to believers. Why will he not return? He's patient towards you. He has sent you and he desires that none should perish. Why is he waiting? He's waiting because of his love. This is a refrain in both the Old and the New Testament that God doesn't want anyone to perish. In fact, oftentimes we separate God in our minds of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the God of the Old Testament gives us his law and his rules. And the God of the New Testament is Jesus and he's full of grace. But that is not the story of Scripture. That God is full of grace and mercy. And there's a fascinating passage in Genesis 15 where God has just made his covenant promise with Abraham. But he says, look, Abraham, it's not going to happen yet. You're not just going to go to the promised land and then become a great nation. But for 400 years, your people will be in a land not their own. They'll be slaves in a land not their own. And the reason he gives him is fascinating. He says, because the sin of the Amalekites has not reached its full measure. For 400 years, God causes his chosen people, Israel, to grow in slavery. 
because he wants to give the people that are currently in the promised land 400 years to repent and to turn to the true creator of the universe. He does not desire that any should perish. First Timothy, Paul says almost word for word the same thing that Peter says here. But if God is all-powerful, if God is all-powerful and he truly desires that none should perish, then why is it that there will be a judgment? Why is it that the ungodly will be destroyed? Many would say, um, and I think rightly say, that this is one of those points where there's a strong mystery. Just a few weeks ago, Randy was up here uh, teaching and he shared that illustration that he shared for years about the omniscience of God. If God is all knowing and he had a, a, a whiteboard up here and he says that this whiteboard goes in infinitely in all directions and our knowledge is represented by a tiny circle, how many things could fall outside of our knowledge? And in that, oftentimes the Bible will say, hey, this is true and this is true and they don't logically make sense for you but just know that they are true. And I do think this is one of those, those instances where God says, I need you to know something. And I'm gonna say it over and over again from Genesis one on, I don't want anyone to perish. But I'm also gonna remind you that there will come a judgment where the ungodly will be destroyed. You can think of it as primary and secondary desires of God. His primary desires, namely his glory and our good, and he has secondary desires, things like his law, where they are absolutely the desire of his heart that we would live our lives that way, but he's not gonna come through and make sure that absolutely happens 100%. We know this as grandparents and parents. How many times have you had a child who is being disobedient, and maybe you have set up a, a strong discipline. And you're looking at him and you're going, please don't do that again. If you do that again, we're gonna have to do this. And you plead, and you genuinely, genuinely want in your hearts them not to disobey. You don't have a heart as a parent that says, I, man, I hope that just do this. Right? You desire that they would turn, that they would turn away, but you also know the greater good. You also know that if you don't discipline your child, then they will not learn the ways in which God's created the world and, and organized the world for them to live in it. You know that it'll affect them. It'll affect your whole rest of your family. You know that it probably even affect your community and culture. And so you discipline them. There's something that God has not shared in his omniscience that makes both of those things true. And like our child, like we would hope our child would trust us in the discipline process when they don't understand what we're doing. We as God's children trust God when he says, I don't want anyone to perish and there will be a day of judgment. So we wait. But not only that, not only does he desire that none should perish, he runs after us through general revelation, through the sending of his people in his created world. You can see how ordered it is. You can see that there's, there's design and there's a creator and he's calling two people to come, to follow him, to repent, to receive the sacrifice of his son. 
And then he's sending his people. God is not just passively sitting by and saying, I don't want anyone to perish, fingers crossed. But he is coming after us and he is sending us. Second, or uh, first exhortation from this passage. Don't delay action. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. As Peter has just now shared and reminded us of the patience of the Lord, he immediately reminds us, but that day will come like a thief in the night. The first one to use this illustration was Jesus. And Jesus spoke of his own return. He said, I will come like a thief in the night. And Peter reminds us. So the the idea from this passage is not to hear the patience of God, not to hear of his love and desire that none should perish, and then just to sit back and as Christians to say, okay, well then I have time. I have time to share with my family. I have time to share with my friends. If you're here this morning and you've not surrendered your life to Christ, it's not a call to say, well, great, he's a patient God. I will wait and I will do what I want to do. And when I don't want to do what I want to do anymore, I will turn to Jesus. Peter quickly reminds us he will come like a thief in the night. The earth and the works done on him will be exposed on that day of judgment. You will either stand guilty and exposed with every action and every thought laid bare before the creator of the universe. Or you will stand, as scripture reminds us, hidden in Christ and clothed in his righteousness. The plea is for you to take action. If you're here this morning and you go, man, I've enjoyed being a part of Perimeter. I've enjoyed being around here. I don't think I'm ready to give Jesus everything. I'm still, I still, he hasn't answered all of my questions. Then the plea from 2 Peter is that he will come like a thief in the night. And he reminds us even of his righteousness and his goodness. Verse 15 says that the patience of God is our salvation. If you're here this morning and you're wrestling, I would beg you, I would beg you to consider your sin, to know that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live and he died on the cross and he shed his blood on your behalf because our sin, the wages of our sin is death. And he rose again And by faith, you can receive the righteousness that he lives. And by faith, your sin, every thought, word, and deed, both past and present, can be nailed to the cross for all of eternity. And you get to stand on that day and you get to plead actually God to come and to bring that day of judgment because you'll stand hidden in Christ, free from your sins forever and ever. And he's saying, come today because I will come like a thief in the night. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, you see Jesus for who he is. You've seen your sin. You agree with God that you're a sinner. And you're doing everything in your power to follow him. The plea for action 
is to not wait, to not be satisfied with just being a winsome presence with unbelieving friends, just, just hoping, just hoping if they're around me enough, if they're around me enough, they will know the details of the gospel. I don't need to say anything. But the call to action would be to plead with them. They see the brokenness that you see, to share why we see that brokenness, to share the good news of Jesus and to say, come, receive that forgiveness of your sins, walk in freedom and newness of life, be raised to newness of life in Jesus Christ, enjoy the things that I get to enjoy and following him and then hasten, as we'll talk about a little bit, hasten that day when he returns. Join us. Don't wait any longer. On that day, you will either be found with all your sinful thoughts and actions exposed, or you will be found hidden in Christ, clothed in his righteousness forever and ever. The patience of God is our salvation, verse 15 says. He has given us more time to proclaim, more time to minister, and more time to go and participate in the work of Christ. Second exhortation actually comes from the next verse, starting in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will be melt and as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. First, a quick comment. I wanna, I wanna stick to verse 12, but a quick comment on the picture of the last days. In various places in the New Testament, you're gonna come across brief descriptions of what the return of Christ will look like. There's debate upon debate upon debate on the details of what that looks like. I believe much like Genesis 1 and 2, I don't think God is trying to give us the detailed plan. God typically doesn't hand us the plan. We mess it up. But I think there's a pictures here and there's things that Christians across the board agree on. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day when the ungodly are sent with uh, Satan and his demons to hell for all of eternity. And that, knowing that, provides longevity and mission as believers. And so this description is a description most in our uh, church, most pastors would say, this is a description of a renewed earth, the purification of fire, where he raises up and he renews a new heaven and a new earth, and the old is passed away, but the new has come in a renewal, not a destruction sort of way. But verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day. There are two things, as I read in uh, uh, previous ministers and pastors and what they would say about this idea of hastening the day of the Lord's coming. And there was always two things that were in common, that whether that list changed, however that list changed, there's always these two things. One, 
is the obedience. It's fascinating here that Peter seems to be saying there is something, there are actions that we do as believers that hasten the coming of the Lord. And so where our hearts long and cry out, Lord, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, there are things that we can be doing. One is obedience. You see that in the beginning of verse 11, since all these things are going to happen, including the judgment, what sort of people ought we be in lives of holiness and godliness? So what do we do to hasten? We, we seek to live godly lives in obedience. But because of the direct language right in verses 8 through 10, right before this, of God's patience and God desiring none to perish, a part of that hastening, a part of that obedience that pastors always talk about here is evangelism. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? We proclaim to those around us, the good news of Jesus Christ, we ask them to come and to lay their sin before a loving Savior and to receive his sacrifice and to receive salvation. So we hasten, again, we hasten through evangelism. Jesus is saying, people are perishing all over the world and I am patient because I desire that none should perish. Hasten the day. The next time your heart cries out as you experience brokenness and sinfulness, remember, hasten the day. Share the good news with those around us. So what keeps us from doing that? When I think about Perimeter, and I've had the privilege of being around this church now since 2002. When I think about Perimeter Church, I don't actually think fear is the primary thing that keeps us from evangelizing with our friends. I think we live in an individualized culture where we're actually less afraid to share in some ways what we believe. The world would say, hey, that's great. You believe what you believe. And so we feel a little bit more boldness. But also you look at the lives we live, the entrepreneurs in this room, the missionaries in this room, the generosity represented in this room, the different ways that families have stepped out in faith to seek the will of God, I don't think it's a fear thing that keeps us from evangelism. I actually think it's a distraction thing. I think there are two primary distractions that keep our hearts when we hear and are reminded that people are perishing all over the world. I think there's two distractions primarily that stick out to me. One is the cares of the world. The cares of the world. How much time do we spend thinking about our futures? How much time do we think thinking about ourselves as individuals or even our family members? As young families in here, how often are we giving thoughts to the raising of our children and we're distracted, we're overscheduled. And I think sometimes we're, we, we need to trust God more and more as we step out in mission and sacrifice more of our energy and our time and our resources to go and seek to save those who have been lost. I think as we do that, I think we remember that he has promised to care for us. Just last week, I took off Monday through Wednesday of the week. And my hope was, I, I picked those days probably three or four weeks ago. My hope was to reboot, reboot, to recharge. Okay, I'll take three days off. I won't have to get to the next thing right when I wake up. I won't go from meeting to meeting and, and to, you know, sporting event after sporting event. I'll be able to slow down a little bit. And in three days, our family had a broken arm, a root canal, 
a broken car, a black eye that we had to check to make sure it wasn't fractured, um, and a medication adjustment that we almost had to call the EMS in three days. And I'm walking around, and I'm going, Lord, do you not care about me? Did I miss something? And all I can tell you is that in the few moments that I did get with him driving from doctor appointment to doctor appointment, it was as if he was saying, trust me, trust me for the small things. And that next day on Thursday, I come back, and just through the meetings that we had, there was a friend that came into town. We had our officers meeting that night. Through the different people he surrounded with me, the conversations I had, I went to bed that night with my tank fuller than it has been in a really long time. The Lord said, Eric, did you think you needed to take three days off or did you think that I can fill you up as you go on mission? Do we trust him for that care? Second distraction is the morality of others. The morality of others. We are so concerned about keeping those already in the family of God pure that we have lost at times our concern for those who are perishing. We may say, we may not say it out loud, but in our homes, in our cities, our actions communicate more of a desire to get people to act Christian than a desire to introduce them to Jesus. We skip a step. And rather than begging the Lord to fill them with his spirit and save their souls for all of eternity, we move right to behavior and discipleship. I'll give you an example. In my own home, I was spending the day with one of my children who did not want to uh, act like one of my children. <laughs> and maybe uh, you can remember those days where you just end up taking them with you. And we're driving and he says to me, he says, Dad, all you talk about is the Bible. You don't talk about anything. You just talk about the Bible. And to which I immediately went, amen. Uh, I need to let Jeff know that that's my reputation. <laughs> and as the Holy Spirit naturally does, he said, no, no, Eric, listen to his tone. You are not sharing the living waters and the hope of the gospel and freedom with your son. You are weighing him down with the commandments without the hope of grace. And in his little mind and in his little heart, that's how he processed that. Dad, you don't stop talking about the Bible as you attempt to change my behavior. And we do that in our homes and we do that in our communities. And without sharing the good news of Jesus, without sharing the hope of his imputed righteousness, there's nothing I desire more for my kids than that they would know him. And yet when I see their bad behavior, I immediately jump to behavior modification. And I'm a pastor. And the things I share from scripture are the rules. What would we look like as evangelists if we were less distracted by the morality of those around us and cared more for the fact 
that they are perishing without the hope of Jesus? What would we look like if we were just pleading them? Come, experience the forgiveness of my King, Jesus. I don't want you to be there on that day completely exposed with every thought and action. I want you to be hidden in Christ and receive his righteousness. Please come. He may not answer all of your questions, but I'm begging you to see the hope of who Jesus is. How much different, how much more intense would the aroma of Christ be in us as his people? Four quick applications. These are very, very practical. One, get equipped. If you're here and you're feeling that renewed sense of desire for those who are perishing, and you go, I don't have the tools, I don't, I don't know what I would say, get equipped. You can mark it even on your calendar now and say, Lord, I do, I want to share your heart, your desire that none would perish. And you can go to express your faith, and Randy Pope for years has been giving us tools to share the good news of the gospel, and now they even have this process where you can receive ongoing coaching afterwards. Sign up. It's going to be awesome. Number two, invite. We have Easter coming up. After Easter, we have investigative forum where unbelievers can come and ask some of the hardest questions that they have. And again, Randy has been leading that for years. We have the night on the lawn. Invite them. Get them around God's people. And as you debrief that time with them, do not hesitate to share the details of the good news of the gospel. Pray. We do not save anyone. Pray and beg that the Spirit of the Lord would, would sweep through the lives of our family and friends and would awaken their hearts to who he is. And then four, fight. Fight the distractions. Be consciously aware of how much you think about the cares of the world. Be consciously aware of how quickly you jump to behavior modification and how, do, how much you care about the morality of the world around us less than you do and less than I do of the fact that they are perishing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for calling us and equipping us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your patience. Lord, thank you for the fact that you time and time again renew our hearts and our desire to go and to share the good news of your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you for even your table that we get to come around now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.